Hello, and welcome back to Next Scene Podcast, the podcast taking on Christmas one scene at a time. I'm your festive host, Sean. And I'm your host, Brian. And today we are joined by a very special guest, the spiritual advisor to the Movies by Minutes community. It's Father David. Ho, 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 Merry Christmas. I hope you've been good little podcasters. <laughs> oh, we've been awful. Absolutely awful. But there's, there's time. Oh, Scrooge is the only one allowed to be awful in this movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's, there's still time to change. Change. Change, yeah. I'll have a comment about that or a question about that a little bit later, but we I should introduce it before we get into it. We are into uh, part three, which is roughly the third 10-minute section of our film, and we begin with Scrooge walking the dark, deserted, deserted streets to his building, and we end with Dickens and Rizzo venturing into Scrooge's home to uh, see what is left of Scrooge after a ghostly encounter. So... So yeah, so uh, Dickens, as played by Gonzo the Great and Rizzo the Rat, are uh, are narrating uh, Scrooge walking up to his home, and I think this is the first mention that that there's two of them. That it's his. He, they mention he. This is uh, the former home of his partners. So there's there's more than yeah. one Marley all of a sudden. Well, now before before we get to that, I, I mm-hmm. am very excited in this minute because uh, as my all the longtime Disney heads will know that in Disney parks and in Disney movies, you have to look for the hidden Mickey. That is the three circles that create the silhouette of Mickey Mouse's head. And in this shot of Scrooge's street, we have the hidden Mickey in this film. You're looking in the left hand corner of the screen. There is a swinging sign right across the street from Scrooge's door. That is three circles as the hidden Mickey. Three circles. Wow. Wow. That's yeah. This is very interesting. I I knew about the hidden Mickey's, Are, and I is knew it every Disney movie. That that is what I am told by the Disney aficionados. This is the first time I have found one all on my own without any help from the internet. Fingers crossed. Across my heart, hope to die. So I was very very excited when I saw it. Because I know Pixar does that with uh, mm-hmm. their Pizza Planet truck and whatnot. So I guess it's the same thing. Wow. Yes, this is cool. Now, I knew like this was produced by Disney. I guess they hadn't made the connection. I was thinking of it more as a Muppet movie than a Disney movie. So I wasn't even looking. Yeah, here, but... here is Disney's brand on the Muppets. We own you now, Henson. <laughs> Bow to the mouse. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that, that mouse does not get around. Hidden. <laughs> Well, now that now that you point it out and I look at it, it's so obvious once you know it's there. <laughs> I right. did not notice that. Before. I'm learning stuff. There you go. That's cool. The hidden Mickey, right? Kicking off mm-hmm. the, um, this section. So that's a guide to users. If you're trying to follow along or watch along and you're not sure where we are, we're starting this uh, this third section of the film, right? Where there's the, the hidden Mickey. 
which I'm wondering what kind of sign that is. It looks like three coconuts hanging from a <laughs> from a rod. Well, we know that King Arthur had access to coconuts, so it yeah. makes sense that in merry old England there would still be coconut shops down to Scrooge's day. It makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, the Queen of England, she's got to have some coconuts, you know, in order to traverse these cobblestone streets. I mean, I would think coconuts would be even in more demand in Victorian England with all those paved streets. Sure, and, uh, handsome cabs. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, they have all those horses, so they need to make right. lots of the clop clop sound. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, it, you know, when I look at other than the hidden Mickey, when I just look at this shot of Scrooge's street, what occurs to me is: is this just a stock set that exists somewhere? Because I, I think I feel like I have seen this kind of Victorian London street in every single movie. It just lit in different ways with the narrow passageways. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's just reminding me of the the fake street set from Scrooge, which I had the pleasure of talking about with you, Sean, a couple of years ago, and that had that all that forced perspective going all the way back. Yeah, I don't know what what little research I was able to find on these sets uh, seemed to indicate that they were all built for the film. Okay, I I don't know that this was reused, but they certainly reused. The look and feel. They weren't trying to reinvent the wheel or reinvent Victorian England, as it. Oh yeah, it's it's a Christmas Carol. Uh, you're you're nuancing things, not uh, right. Spinning things out of whole cloth. Well, the fact the fact that Charles Dickens is played by a little blue <laughs> monster, that's pushing the envelope enough. You don't need to, you don't need to take artistic license with the layout of the streets and so forth. You've you've already staked your claim to originality, I think, at that point. But um, now, now here's my question, though. Don't you think, talking about it, that it looks like sort of a set, but doesn't it look amazing? That's the one thing that's just been in each chunk of the movie. Everything really looks great. Especially considering that it would have to account for the Muppeteers in all the set mm-hmm. design, <clears throat> set design, because you're going to need trenches for the, the Muppeteers to you know, have all the talking cabbages and bunnies and, you know, moo cows and all the rest that are uh, manipulated and then have space, you know, space for Michael Caine to walk around too. Right. Yeah. And these sets, what, one thing that Brian Henson says in the, the disc commentary that I have is this is, none of this is on location. These are all sets inside a studio and they were all very small. They do a lot of camera tricks and forced perspective with smaller buildings uh, further away and so forth. So they, they, it feels expansive. It feels like we're in a large city. They do a really good job. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll, I'll use that to segue into when, when Scrooge goes inside. And I feel like this is a very expansive building or expansive apartment that he's in. And it feels, I mean, he, he feels big, but it it feels like he's in a very big space. Um, and I will mention, so there is, oh, sorry, if you want to add something. Oh, no, I was going to say, absolutely. This is exactly what I was talking about. I mean, it looks great. Yeah, and I just wanted to read a, a, a short passage from the uh, from the original, from Dickens. When oh, he's boy. Just... <laughs> we'll get, we'll get some culture here, in. too. You know, get, my, yeah. get my hot cocoa. Okay, I'm ready. Get your cocoa. Snuggle up by the fire. I have a story to tell. Oh boy. Uh, so so Dickens <laughs> describes it. You may talk of vaguely about driving a coach and six up a good old flight of stairs, 
but I mean to say you might have got a hearse up that staircase and taken it broadwise and done it easy. Oh, wow. So so Dickens is describing a, yeah, a wide staircase, wide enough for a carriage to go up sideways. That's a, a big staircase, yeah. not what we have here. <laughs> So it's yeah. So in in the in the the original, it's even bigger than what they have here. But um, and I and I get that feeling when we see when Scrooge has has settled down in front of the fire for his meal, and there's a couple shots where we're like across the room and looking at his chair and then the fire, and I feel like we can get very far away and still be in this space. Yeah, but even before that, I mean, can we just? take a moment to appreciate the cinematography as Scrooge goes around his apartment. I mean, I'm looking about two minutes and 20 seconds into our mm -hmm. segment here and the way that Michael Caine is lit from that candle, oh. which is throwing off way more light than it has any right to, but with the, the harsh shadows coming off of his face and the big looming shadow behind him and these stark lines of light really create this great horror movie atmosphere, which is ironically what you need for this most famous Christmas story in the Western English literature. <laughs> but you've got this great uh, mood that is set by the lighting that's in here and the creepiness of Scrooge's big empty house. So I love that line about, you know, darkness is cheap and Scrooge liked it where he's very, he's very, he's like this, you know, old spider. He's just very comfortable in the dark and in the shadows. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's very creepy. And I feel like this is, this is one section that is really is, is amped up for me from the original, the little bit that, um, that Gonzo kind of tosses in uh, towards the beginning of the section saying, um, you know, remember that the Marleys were dead. That one thing you must remember or nothing that follows will seem wondrous. That's, that's part of the original Muppets bit. That's not in the original, but kind of just, um, and I guess also a reminder that this is geared towards uh, really younger audience. So if you're a kid and maybe you, you, you see Scrooge and you've seen Kermit and you see Rizzo and Gonzo and maybe you've forgotten the mention of of the Marleys and you may not remember who they are. So there's that reminder that, OK, these things are dead. The mention of death going into this section. And then, like you said, this this big dark house and Scrooge being cheap and miserly only lights the one candle mm -hmm. throwing off those spooky shadows. That has an effect like he's holding a can like a flashlight under his chin telling <laughs> ghost stories. <laughs> this is a scary chunk of the movie. Yes. Yeah, Rizzo no. is concerned for the kids who are watching. <laughs> this is this is a, I mean I think they do a really good job of those uh horror type elements here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always it's always fascinating to me. Like I mentioned before, a Christmas carol is the quintessential Christmas story in the English speaking world. And yet it's a ghost story, right? It involves a man being haunted by specters throughout the night, you know, in the dead of night where the first spirit comes in the, when the clock strikes one, when no decent person is awake. So it, it's fascinating to me because it speaks to Dickens appreciation for what Christmas represents that even when Dickens was writing in Victorian England, he saw the creeping commercialism surrounding Christmas and he saw a deadening of that. Uh, appreciation for the spiritual acts, aspects of Christmas. And in this story, Dickens and his genius introduces that sense of the numinous, that sense of the spooky, this sense that there's some presence 
in this room with me that I am not in control of, and it's kind of in control of me. And for Dickens, that's an important entry into what Christmas is actually about. We need to have some kind of experience with something transcendent, something numinous, in order to open up our hearts uh, in true Christmas spirit. And, and for me, coming as a Catholic priest, that true Christmas spirit is grounded in the transcendent gift of Jesus born in the flesh. You know, it's Christ's mass that we celebrate. And the first Christmas is surrounded by something spooky, which is when angels show up in the dead of night to scare the bejeepers out of those shepherds in the field. Mm -hmm. And I think Dickens plays with that, with his spirits that come to visit Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. Hmm. That's a very good take. I, I like that. For Scrooge, he is introduced or maybe he was aware of, but didn't believe it, but he's, he's confronted with kind of the, this transcendent spiritualism of these spirits, these ghosts that visit him and make him think of, of recognize something higher than, than his own little corporeal world. And mm -hmm. then that leads him to looking, you know, looking outside his bubble in the ordinary. So in the end, he's not just, he doesn't run, he doesn't, maybe eventually he'll run off and become, uh, you know, a, a priest or a monk or something and, and fully embraced a spiritual life. But at least at the, the end of the film or the end of the story, it makes him embrace, you know, the, the, the physical world around him and the people around him. And he transcends his bubble in the real world the same way the spirits have made him transcend into a spiritual realm. Which is always the way it goes in true religion, uh, where uh, my love for God must then lead me to love of neighbor. And mm -hmm. without that movement, love of God remains this false piety, this lip service that I pay. And so the movement of Scrooge is is exactly as you lay out. He's he's his bubble is popped by the transcendent, and where he ends up is in the Cratchit's house, which is really where he should have been from the beginning, which is enjoying the the good things of this earth. And that that's what Christmas represents in celebrating the birth of Jesus. That in the ordinary circumstances of life, in a stable, in the humility of a woman giving birth, in the simplicity of shepherds abiding in their fields, there is the spark of the divine that in those ordinary moments, something is revealed of God's presence in the world and that the, the good things of this world do, in fact, participate in the goodness of the transcendent. And Scrooge can't see beyond his own ledger book. And that's mm -hmm. and so I think that plays into why he loves the darkness. You know, I'm I'm reminded of parts of the Gospel of John, which have themes of light and darkness running throughout, where when the light who is Christ comes into the world, the people rejected the light because they preferred the darkness, because they did not want their deeds to be revealed by the light. And that's exactly what the spirits do for Scrooge. They're going to reveal his deeds to him, and he's going to see himself for the first time, which he's been running away from all his life. Yeah, and, and light is very key for for the, the three Christmas spirits mm -hmm. um, in, in one way or another. And this is jumping ahead a little bit, but on that theme of the way this section plays with light and darkness, that... Uh, Scrooge is huddled for his to take his evening meal in front of the fireplace. And when the ghosts come, the fire goes out and the room becomes dark. And then when they leave, uh, they, the fire lights up again. The light returns, um, leaving Scrooge alone. 
Uh, so really good. The the yeah the light and dark, the cinematography of, of the whole film, mm-hmm. but particularly this section is I found very powerful. Yeah, and the, and the uh, I mean on that cinematography note, uh, not just the light, but the the way they're able to to rack focus on the uh, on the bell when he's sitting by the fire and it starts to ring all by itself. Mm-hmm. This, this is out of you know, every creepy Victorian story. I mean, it's, right. it's taken from A Christmas Carol, but the way that it's shot and framed with those boom, 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 those three shots of increasing intensity on uh, Scrooge's face, hammer home the, the strangeness and the, the unsettling nature of the bell ringing. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's very modern the way after that bell rings, the way the camera kind of circles the chair where where Scrooge is sitting mm-hmm. and we kind of circle as he turns his head towards the stairs where the ghost will appear. Slowly I turn step by step. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Very powerful, very spooky stuff. And that mm-hmm. brings us to uh, to Scrooge's former partners. We have, as as in the original Jacob, and there's a second partner, Robert Marley. Well, we I just do want to say one thing. Okay. All right. The way it cuts between uh, when he's like, oh, I'm the omnipresent uh, narrator. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> At least you get some, you know, you do have that little bit of comedy because it, it is pretty intense. And then it cuts outside and it's like, and the light goes on. He's like, how did he do that? <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, it's funny. They do a good job of of alleviating the tension. They never uh, right. it's 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 very kid friendly because yeah, in both the cuts to to uh, Rizzo, I almost said Gonzo, but that would be incorrect. Yeah. Rizzo and Mr. Dickens outside, but also the musical cues afterwards, where there's just a little bit of oboe woodwind. Oh, everything's mm-hmm. actually okay. Little musical stings after these scary moments, just to alleviate that tension and uh, keep it from being overbearing. Yeah. Right. Well, it's 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 really interesting to to build on your point, Brian. The role that they play, particularly Dickens, is it it's a dual role. So he's the narrator, and he even says, "I'm omniscient. I know everything that's going on. You know, I know what what what's what's happening inside the the building. What Scrooge is doing." But at the same time, he's also a viewer. He's he's kind of with us, witnessing these events mm-hmm. as as they happen. So it's that kind of dual narrator viewer at the same time. Uh, really interesting role and very sophisticated for uh, a children's film. And though as I think about it, it's almost like Dickens and Rizzo are, are visitors in the same way that Scrooge will be a visitor to his own past, where yes. they are but spirits because no one really acknowledges either of them, but they're yeah. always goofing and interacting, but they, they never are addressed or interact with anyone in the actual story. Like when they, I'm thinking back uh, to last your last episode when they snuck into Scrooge's uh, money counting house. Mm-hmm. No one says anything. No one bats <laughs> an eye. You know, we got a, a blue guy who's using a rat as a bellows for the fire, but no one says anything about it. <laughs> So I I think they are they are also uh, Mr. Dickens and Rizzo are also spirits. Yeah, when, and then later when uh, when Rizzo falls down the chimney at the Cratchit household and is uh, doing a you know a hot foot dance on top of the <laughs> yeah. Christmas goose and no one seems to notice. Hey, there's a rat on the uh, <laughs> on Christmas dinner. So yeah, my goose. <laughs> yeah, so they're 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 spirits of a sort as well. Mm-hmm. Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I like this and it, it, it really contrasts and it's the, the decision to, to handle, uh, to have a narrator and then the, you know, the particular casting to have Gonzo and Rizzo in that role is just such genius. And I think of uh, another Muppet film that, that came out much later. It's uh, I think it was El- Elmo's adventure in Grouchland. A cinematic masterpiece. <laughs> yeah. Soon to be entered into the Criterion Collection. It's right up there yes. with, with, yeah, with, with Citizen Kane <laughs> and, uh, and Xanadu. It's a true classic <laughs> for the ages. But if, if there's a chance, if there's any um, cinephiles out there who haven't seen it, Elmo goes into Grouch's uh, trash can. And apparently there's a whole world. There's Grouchland inside the trash can. Um, and he, I, he gets lost and he's trying to find his way out. And like halfway through that, there's a break. And I think it's Bert and Ernie. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I think it's Bert and Ernie who are our narrators, our guides through the story. And they do a similar thing where they break the fourth wall and they kind of, you know, speak to the children in the audience and say, oh, no, you know, Elmo's going to be OK. Don't be too scared. And that kind of ruined the film for me. Like it really mm. took me out of the action. It really broke it up because it was outside of it, where here it's. They're in, you know, they're in period dress. They're in the time. They're in the story. So mm-hmm. they they do it several points, and they do it, at, you know, a couple times, even just within this section where Rizzo is, is is scared or worried that this may be too scared for children in the audience. And Gonzo assures him, like, no, this is, you know, this is culture. This is okay. Oh, culture. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as if culture can't be scary. But because they're inside the story, not outside of it. I never feel like that's kind of breaking up the rhythm. It doesn't distract me from what's going on. It's just part of the narrative as we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this was really, that kind of really captured, um, you know, lightning in a bottle with this one. Just everything c- came together just right. Mm-hmm. All right. So now can we talk about the Marleys? One of which is, is Bob Marley. <laughs> yes. Robert Thank Marley. You. I was when I was revisiting this film. I haven't seen it since I was a kid, and I didn't get that joke as a child. <laughs> but I was like, "Or oh, Jacob and Robert Marley." Like, Robert, why would they name him Robert? Oh, that's yeah, funny. I, it, I had the same thought. I'm like, you know, I I guess Robert was a name that would have existed in the time period, but it doesn't. You know, we got an Ebenezer, we've got a a Jacob Marley, we've got very you know, Victorian sounding names and then just Robert. But yeah, I haven't, I haven't been able, my research has not turned up who on the Muppet staff is the, the reggae fan <laughs> that decided to name the ghost Bob Marley. But I'll, you know, I'll, I'll jump in, I'll interrupt myself interrupting and use that uh, to ask you. So what is your, your history of, you know, your history with this film? Is it, is it one of your favorites or your most favorite Christmas film? I have a lot of fond memories of A Muppet Christmas Carol. I remember watching this constantly on the Disney Channel when it was in reruns. I was too young when it first came out uh, in 92. But when I was old enough to be left alone with the TV, I remember uh, not only watching this movie, but getting it recorded on VHS so that I could watch it anytime I wanted to at Disney Channel commercials and all. And it made a big impact on me. Uh, you mentioned uh, Gonzo, excuse me, Mr. Dickens line <laughs> before Scrooge walks up to the house. I must ask you to remember that the Marleys were rotting in their graves. You, know, you mentioned that was something they added in. For years, 
I thought that was part of the original story of A Christmas Carol because mm-hmm. it it did so much to emphasize the spookiness and the wonder of the story to me. Uh, and I, you know, I, as so often happens, that movie was so much a part of my childhood. Of course, when I became a teenager, oh, I don't watch the Muppets anymore. Oh, no, no way. I'm way too cool for that. No, I, I only watched the Alistair Sims version of A Christmas Carol because it's way more faithful to the original, man. So it has unfortunately been years since I've seen the Muppet Christmas Carol, even though, uh, you know, deep down, of course, underneath all of my teenage bluster, I, I remember it quite fondly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a fun film and almost paradoxically paradoxically uh one of the most faithful adaptions. And and part of it is the use of that narrator to have Dickens there to to use his own words and I was yeah. surprised one of the thing as as we go through one of the things I'm doing is picking out lines that are in the film that are directly from uh from Dickens to say here here's where we reuse this and I was surprised that that line is is not in the original that line about you you know you must remember this one thing the marleys were dead you know that that that's not in this section of of the of the book but it's the the writing's so good it kind of fits right in it feels like dickens mm-hmm. and again they look they look amazing i mean it, it's just the 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 puppets just look great oh yeah yeah so this is great this they did so this is statler and waldorf uh, what they did is they doused the puppets with powder, with white powder to give them that ghostly mm, appearance. Okay. And then they're, they filmed separately and then overlaid, you know, they're kind of um, in, in front of a, well, it was actually a blue screen because it was film. Nowadays, mm. I think they do a green screen. If it's computers, it's a green screen. If it's mm. film, it's a blue screen. But they filmed them covered in white powder in front of a blue screen and then overlaid it into this scene to give them that ghostly appearance that that works out so well uh and it works really really well the amazing thing about working with the muppets they're real things so Mm -hmm. the light plays off them in the correct ways and you believe that those are actually you know they're muppets they're not human beings so they're muppets floating somewhere in that room in a ghostly way yeah the the light and then the the chains specifically you know, oh, yeah. things that'd be very hard um, even today very hard to replicate uh, you know digitally or with computer but to have you know actual chains on on puppets and this was um they actually had uh, three puppeteers for each of the ghosts so wow. one's working they you know they've got the mouth someone's you know got the the traditional kind of hand up the back but they've got arms and feet and chains and and everything's moving around so you can just imagine, you know, practically how this was done with a, a crowd of people surrounding these puppets. But when when that goes away and they just overlay it, um, it just looks great. Now, what do you yeah. think they did with Michael Caine when they had to film his lines? Did they have do you think they had the, the Stadler and Waldorf puppets there for him to play off of? Or was he playing to an empty room? Because it's Michael Caine. I'm sure he would be brilliant either way. Yeah. You know what? I I I don't know. And I, I haven't seen any like making of if you know, they just have like a um you know, like a volleyball on the end of a stick and be like, yeah, I would say it's probably empty. Yeah. At this time. I just feel like at this point it might have I mean, maybe the well, the chains are there. 
Well, the change we can see that there are so there the the ghost chains are part of when they film the puppet and that's the overlay of the special effect. But then there are real chains that are around Scrooge that are in yeah. this with with Michael Caine. So um, yeah, I'm not sure how they what what he had with or they just told him like okay, there's you know this point in the wall like look there that's where there's right, going right. to be a ghost. Because he, because Michael Caine does a great job with it. Like you're always criticizing me, and it's just that great <laughs> intense Scroogey face that he has for that very <laughs> silly petty line. Yeah, well, I think they did a great job of, of you know looking at not the ghosts as they first appear, but when they they kind of show up and they've just got chains on their feet and their I think like their their wrists and their ankles, but then eventually ch- multiple chains come in from up and down and wrap them all around and there's mm-hmm. lock boxes and, and locks right. and locks and and so forth. The way they're described in the original, uh, well, not them. It's it's just the one Marley in in the book, but it's a. Uh, Marley in his pigtail, usual waistcoat, tights, and boots. The chain he drew was clasped around his middle. It was long and wound around him like a tail. It was made of cash boxes, keys, padlocks, ledgers, and deeds, and heavy purses wrought in steel. Um, so that's the description they worked off of to uh, mm. to create this image. And it's 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 even scarier. It's even more effective with and you. I I feel the the weight of these chains and lock boxes and, and locks and so forth that are um, ensnaring and surrounding these poor Marley's. Yeah. And you know, of course it's softened because it's the Muppet. So of course the lock boxes speak. <laughs> <laughs> and so that, that cutesy element does take away the horror of it a little bit, a little bit, a little <laughs> bit. They are, they are Muppets. And when he, when they leave it, I mean, it, it's like a heart movie. I mean, just the cinematography, like we were saying, I mean, the long shot of Michael Caine against like the wall kind of were like a little bit below him. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's scary stuff. Yeah, well, the, the overall imagery surrounding Marley's punishment, it's very Dante-esque uh, mm-hmm. in the in the Inferno as as Dante is going through the, the many levels of hell. All of the punishments that the sinners in hell suffer are very poetic. They're all tied with their their favorite sins. And so... The, the wrathful are being boiled all alive in blood and the lustful are being blown about by a never-ending windstorm and uh, the betrayers are frozen or are being chewed up by Satan. And the punishment for Jacob Marley is that he is uh, he has forged that chain in life link by link and has chained himself in his greed. And it's, uh, you know, chains and lockboxes are meant to keep things secure, to keep things safe. Mm-hmm. But all that it's done is way morally down as he's just acquired more and more bits of metal. It has not freed him, but has only imprisoned him to that greed. And he is sent now to warn, well, he and, and Bob Marley are both sent to warn <laughs> Scrooge that he is also gathering this kind of chain to himself and is dooming himself to the same kind of punishment by his own free choice. He just doesn't have the eyes to see it. And it goes back to what I was saying about the necessity of of the encounter with the transcendence. We need something beyond the ordinary to open us up to what's actually going on in our life to give us the perspective necessary to live a real life in the in the ordinary world to end up happy at the Cratchit's table. All right. Yeah. Yeah. We we talk about uh, you know this being a horror story or you know horror film, and that's that the Marley say it in in their song. 
Your future is a horror story written by your crime. Your chains, your chains are forged by what you say and do. So have your fun when life is done. A nightmare waits for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it, yeah. I mean that's that's Gary. All is real, kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there there are a lot of the kind of standard horror film or horror story tropes that are in in the story and in the film. But I don't know mm-hmm. how many horror stories have the ghost or the monster come up and 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 come you know literally say you are in a horror story. So <laughs> you better shape up. Usually they're they're not so on the nose unless it's Cabin in the Woods. Uh, right. Other than that. <laughs> Other than that, Cabin in the Woods and and Muppets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And this and, and who who but a Muppet can, you know, can do it? Can kind of I, I guess like I was saying with having uh you know having uh, Dickens is played by Gonzo and Rizzo kind of break the fourth wall and address us as the audience without really breaking the mood. Here the mm-hmm. the ghosts kind of I mean they're addressing Scrooge. They're not I guess not breaking the fourth wall proper, but they're kind of saying we're, we're you're in a story we're in a story that you're writing by your deeds so you're able to mm-hmm. change the way the story ends if you if the change if you change the way you you live yeah which is always the lesson of a christmas carol uh, that you know when you encounter the ghost of christmas yet to come mm-hmm. uh, are these things that might be or are these things that must be and the answer is that there are always things that might be the future is not written the future doesn't exist and the past doesn't really exist either we just have a memory of of the present moment that has slipped by us and the present is always available to us to act differently, to evaluate our lives and to decide whether you're going to keep on building that chain and get some more lock boxes uh, strung in there, or whether you're going to heed the ghost of Bob Marley and change. Uh, and the thing, like in terms of the tone of this, what's, what's interesting when it's the Muppet Christmas Carol, Scrooge's little you know line about oh can't the spirits all visit me at once and and so I can get over with it it it's much more humorous than um kind of crabbed and grouchy like it normally is in other versions mm-hmm. of a christmas carol where that's it in in other versions Scrooge continues to not get it at this stage right he is not he's not really afraid he's like okay i i don't know what's going on here you're not really a ghost and yeah you're warning me but okay i got three spirits can can i just see them all at once and get it over with he's very blasé very disaffected by the whole thing whereas mm-hmm. uh, michael kane put, puts a little bit of fear in uh in this this interpretation of the line and he's like okay can i just get a get a get out of this as quickly as possible because i'm kind of freaked by both of the ghosts yeah and that that helps to make the uh the emotions of the scene more readable for a younger audience it would be that would it, the sarcasm doesn't translate as well when you're young uh ah oh, the innocence of youth oh if only i could go back <laughs> that would be so nice to live in a world without sarcasm <laughs> Oh yeah, that that'd be great. <laughs> hey, wait a minute! I suspect you're being sarcastic. <laughs> yeah. Um, so mention that that's one of the one one of the changes in the film versus the original. In that, so he doesn't quite get it over with all at once, but he does get it all in one night. That it is Christmas Eve, and all three ghosts will will visit Scrooge between now and sunrise on Christmas day. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the original, it's closer to when we had you uh, with us talking about the great Bill Murray classic Scrooged um, that in, in the original, the Marley say that the first ghost will come when the clock strikes one 
And then the next ghost will come the following night when the clock strikes one and so forth. So it happens over three nights mm-hmm. in the original, kind of give Scrooge even more time to mull over these experiences and, and more time to grow and change um, versus um, I, I think most adaptions, or at least most of the ones that I've seen in, in film and on television have it happen all in one night, the way it does here with the Muppets. So the Marleys are not completely unfeeling towards uh, you know Scrooge's predicament. So in that case, they sort of do answer his request in, um, you know, again, not all at once, but he does get the ghosts all in one night versus over over three nights. All right, let's put a rush job on this one. We need we need these ghosts stat. <laughs> Keep them coming. Well, look, ghosts get Christmas Day off too, so right. they got one last <laughs> night shift, and then they get the whole rest of Christmas Day off. So they just they want to get this over with. No one wants to work on Christmas, right? No one wants to be working Christmas Eve. They want to get it over the way. So they they got the last minute shopping they got to take care of, and then they can That's get right. home and got to buy all your ghost goose. presents and your, get your ghost turkey <laughs> roasting and trim the ghost tree. Sure. They've got ghost stockings to hang by the the fire with care. (laughs) (laughs) Now I have a question about this song. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if if either of you kind of are in the same predicament. Maybe it's just me. For a long time, I thought at the end, at the very end of the song, the Marleys are saying chains. But they're saying change. You know, it's the, they're, you know, imploring Scrooge. It's the warning. You need to change. I thought they were emphasizing the the punishment that they were saying that that last line was chains. Um, just just me. Uh, anyone else think they were saying? You know chains? what? I have to go back to how I have not seen this movie that much. <laughs> you haven't actually yeah, seen them. Well, this, this is your chance to dive <laughs> deep into this. Yeah. yeah, I seem to be the only one that doesn't really. I, I, I'm neutral on it. It's not that I don't right. like it. It just doesn't. You know, I haven't gotten full in every year to it right. mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it's i think it you could be forgiven for thinking that it's chains because it's very hard to hear that j- 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 j sound at the end of that word mm-hmm. but i think it is change yeah I, I i i i believe now it is change but for a long time i i thought it was chains i thought they were emphasizing mm-hmm. the punishment not the um, you know, it was more the stick, not the carrot at this point, but um, <laughs> which which would be Statler and Waldorf's preferred method any day of the week, right? Right, <laughs> that'd be <laughs> that'd be part of it. Um, so yeah, so uh, so our, our ghostly visitors descend back down the staircase, having uh, warned Scrooge of his potential future and his visitors yet to come the the fire in the fireplace springs back to life and uh the room is lit and scrooge is left alone sort of wondering if that really happened was that was that real did i imagine that was that just a uh a, a, and the cut, a bit of the, the i was just gonna say with the when it goes to black for that couple of seconds that one little beat and then the fire comes back up mm-hmm. great just awesome mm-hmm but it it emphasizes the darkness that's closing in around Scrooge and he's coming to terms with death and mortality uh, and he is unsure as to what exactly happened. And, he, and isn't that always the way with nightmares? You know, those mm-hmm. first couple minutes after you wake up, you're freaked out because 
you know, Mrs. McGillicuddy is chasing after you uh, because you didn't turn in your English paper or whatever. <laughs> and you, you panic because oh, I got to get that. I got to get that paper done. I got to turn it in. Wait, wait, no, that was a dream. That wasn't real. Uh, okay. All right. I know where I am. All right. Okay. Everything's fine. Great. And for Scrooge, he's coming out of that nightmare discombobulation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I wonder if it's there like almost to make him think or allow him to think maybe he drifted off to sleep and then he suddenly jerked awake and it's, you know, that from the darkness to the light was just him opening his eyes to kind of give that, um, you know, plausibility of, of, or uncertainty of, you know, did this really happen? Am I imagining this? I am certain there is a version of version of a Christmas Carol where they would have this fade to black with Scrooge up against the wall. And when we cut back in, Scrooge kind of jumps up in his chair Mm-hmm. Where he's, he's sitting in front of the fire just as he was when the ghost first showed up yeah. to continue to play with that. Oh, was it a dream? Was it real? Was it not? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. And so then we cut away Scrooge. Uh, Scrooge climbs into bed, uh, grasping a see, is it like an iron from the fireplace um, and, and pulling the, the curtains around or drapes or what I don't know what's called when you have like a canopy bed pulling the canopy closed. I don't know what kind of protection that's going to give you from ghosts, but kind of <laughs> now wait, now wait, 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 before, before we let Scrooge get into bed, we have to talk about the moment between Rizzo and Mr. Dickens that made me laugh out loud and startle the, my next door neighbors. <laughs> yes. Cause we, we go, we, we have a, a brief interchange outside where Rizzo is concerned uh, for the kids. Won't someone think of the children? And like, well, mm-hmm. that's pretty scary stuff. And Mr. Dickens says, Oh, it's culture. They'll, they'll be it's fine. <laughs> Which, I, I mean, as an adult, like, Oh, that's really funny. Cause yeah, a lot of culture is actually really dark and not kid friendly. And how else are you going to introduce kids to it? Uh, and then <laughs> you have this interchange over the jelly beans and in a moment that I am 100% convinced and could not be persuaded otherwise to believe was totally unscripted, <laughs> Rizzo gives Mr. Dickens a big old kiss on the end of his nose. Kiss right on the nose. It's, it's, it's clear that the scene was meant to end with just this you know dissatisfied, uh, long-suffering sigh from Mr. Dickens. That was going to be the end of it. But some puppeteers like, you know what's going to be funny? Mwah. <laughs> yeah, I, ha- I have not been able to track down an original script. I have some um, online. I've been able to find basically transcripts. It looks like someone took a dump of, uh, you know, the closed captioning off of a, a DVD or something. But I have not been able to find like a, sh- a shooting script. So uh, I'll, I'll go with you. I'll, I'll say, uh, yeah, it's a little little onset improv from Rizzo the Rat. And, and that actually oh, I'm just watching it right now, just <laughs> giggling to myself. It's, it's so just cute. so perfect. And it's one of those things where you would only be able to do this with the Muppets. Yeah. You could not do this <laughs> with uh, with CGI animation because mm-hmm. there'd be so much work in the previs and the rendering and getting everything to come together in time for production that those kind of little throwaway moments, you, could, you wouldn't want to spend the time animating those because the director could come in and say, no, 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 cut that. Whereas in the moment where you've got the the Muppeteers playing around with us, everyone on set, I'm I'm sure in in this fantasy version of the production of the Muppet Christmas Girl that I'm creating in my head, bust a gut when Rizzo planted (laughs) one right on Gonzo. Okay, we're keeping that. That's not the script, but that's great. We're going to keep that. All right, let's move on to the next shot. 
Well, and these puppeteers have worked with all this, you know, this Muppet crew have worked with these puppets and they know these characters for right. for decades at this point. So that, you know, these these puppets become just natural extensions of their own body. So they know how these characters will move and react. And so they can they can come up with this stuff. They can improv and they can do stuff and it'll be in character and it'll work. Yeah. Um, who was it? I think it was um, Tony Thaxton who does uh, a lot of. He does a lot of the music for Star Wars Minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a big Muppet fan, and he was telling a story of meeting the Muppeteer for Gonzo. And he he had the the puppeteer had his you know his traveling case with all the Muppets in it and whatever. And, and Tony's talking with him, and the, the puppeteer says, "Well, do do you want to meet Gonzo?" And and Tony's like, uh, <laughs> "Yeah, sure." Yeah. <laughs> so the the puppeteer gets gets Gonzo out of the box, and all of a sudden. Gonzo comes to life and the, the puppeteer just disappears mm-hmm. from, from his attention that Tony is just talking to Gonzo in that moment. And it, it speaks to the ability of these puppeteers to really bring character and life to these bits of felt and uh, costume to make them feel like real actors who are playing a role in a movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That that's that's what I've heard. Like when you meet a Muppet, you're meeting you're meeting Gonzo or you're meeting Kermit or, or so forth and the, the, the puppeteer just uh, yeah. disappears. Um so that's good. That's I think I'll I use that as a segue to um one of the questions we've been asking all our guests is do you have uh, you know in the film it could be in this section or you know any any of the film as a whole, do you have a, a favorite line, a favorite quote? Has any of this uh you know Anything the Muppets say as it worked its way into your daily vernacular, anything of that sort. This, I think, this rewatching this for uh, the show made me realize how big of an influence the Muppets were on my sense of humor and what I thought was funny. Yeah, because the line that I think about, I don't know, maybe once a month, um, is earlier in the film when. Rizzo and Mr. Dickens are talking about Mr. Dickens being this narrator for the story. And Mr. Dickens says, well, I know the story as well as I know the back of my own hand. <laughs> and Rizzo says, oh, yeah, well, prove it. And, and, and Gonzo turns to, okay, well, there's a mole on my thumb and there's a uh, scar on my wrist when I fell off my bike. As a kid, I thought that was the funniest joke I had ever heard. You know, I, it never occurred to me how funny being that obtuse would be. Mm-hmm. And, of, you know, of course, looking back on it now, these are clowns. You know, Gonzo was not doing yeah. that to be a pain in the butt. I, however, interpreted it uh, a little more negatively where, oh, it's funny when you're intentionally obtuse. I'm going to do that all the time. <laughs> so that, that um, I, my poor mother has suffered because I thought the Muppets were funny and I've just mm-hmm. been intentionally obtuse too many times to count. And it, it formed my kind of smart, Alec, sarcastic, pain in the butt sense of humor that I had with my family years since. But I will often remember that joke about, oh, well, there's a mole on my thumb and there's a, <laughs> there's a little scar where I fell off my bike. Yeah, uh, that is oh, it's, and it's just this little throwaway joke, but it comes so early in the movie and helps set up the dynamic between Rizzo and Mr. Dickens for the rest of this film where they're they're mm-hmm. both going to be idiots, but they both think the other one's an idiot. Right. And, <laughs> and that that kind of um, that kind of misunderstanding 
has stuck with me years later. So it was, it was, I, you know, it wasn't in this section. So I was happy to have an like, well, I need to, I need to watch the beginning of this movie. You know, get context. But yeah, I just context, really wanted to, yeah. I just really wanted to see that joke again. Yeah, that's that's such a good joke, and it is, <laughs> it really is. It's a really smart joke. I mean, it's it's the characters kind of playing dumb or being dumb. I'm I'm not quite sure which, like you said, <laughs> but it's really smart. Be, it's it's a sophisticated type of humor that takes advantage of ambiguity. It's like, oh, you know, I know this story as well the back of my hand. Well, prove how well you know it. Well, it, it, you know, Rizzo didn't specify show how well you know the story. Yeah. So there's two things, you know, that, that it could be referring to. And, you know, Gonzo <laughs> takes advantage of that ambiguity. And that's really, yeah, really smart and really, it's, it's really the stupid. stupidest things. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's really so smart and stupid at the same time, which is the best humor is, yes. is, is such. So that's a good one. Uh, so, Brian, did you have anything from this section that, uh, you well, know, do you have a, like a favorite line well, or bit? I, I just, well, actually, when he goes to the door, I love that. How the how the hand, um, not the handle, the, the knocker, like the knocker turns into Marley. That's great. Yeah. And and through my journey, my journey from Scrooge to liking this film, uh, it, this is it's getting better each section. This Good. I thought was all right. Well, we're, we're three sections in. By the end, you'll be uh, you'll be as converted as Scrooge. That's right, and you'll love it. Yeah, <laughs> and I've oh, go ahead. No, 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 that's it. Well, I was just gonna say, so I've got I've got two things in good because uh Father David, you 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 took my line or my bit. I was gonna say my my favorite bit from this section is that kiss. Um, you know, the, <laughs> the, the tender moment between Rizzo and and well, I don't know, is he kissing Dickens or is he kissing Gonzo at that point? <laughs> but that that tender moment between our narrators, that oh, just man. little peck on the nose. Oh, um, it's just it was so unexpected because it's yeah. just it totally pops the bubble of that tension of of uh, Dickens' frustration with this stupid rat that's following him around and just keeps <laughs> eating. Yeah, you know, just yeah, and again, going into one more little bit of the dynamic, which has nothing to do with the main. Christmas Carol story is kind of just this other dynamic that's going on between these two characters. And that's so sweet. Um, so that's the thing, um, you know, the, so the, 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 um, the kiss on the nose was one. And then I had a, a kind of an honorable mention and it's um, it's not exactly, I'll read the bit. I'll read the lines from the film, which are really close to the original. They've, they've, they've changed, a, you know, just a word here or there. It's really close. Mm. to what dickens wrote but it's when uh i forget which one if it's um if it's jacob or, or robert but one of the marley maybe both of them together are saying uh to uh to scrooge who doesn't believe what he's seeing why do you doubt your senses um mm -hmm. and then the, the the reply from scrooge is because a little thing can affect them a slight disorder of the stomach can make them cheat you may be a bit of undigested beef, a blob of mustard, a crumb of cheese. Yes, there's more of gravy than grave about you. And that th there's more of gravy than grave. Again, you know, the, the smartest humor is also the stupidest. That's such a bad pun, mm -hmm. but it's great at, at the same time. And that's that's almost exactly, again, with just a, a few words here or there changed. That's pretty close to the original. That's a, you know, that's a Dickens original. There's more of yeah. gravy than grave about you. And that's just such a, that witty little pun. I love that. 
one of my yeah, favorites. In, in the original, that just shows that Scrooge is totally detached from this. He does not believe what he's seeing, and so he's mm-hmm. being glib. Yeah, uh, yeah, in this moment, like oh, that's more of gravy than a grave of you. Ha, got him. Yeah, he's 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 playing. He's you know he's he's being faced with you know the undead or from beyond the grave, and he's you know making puns and and wordplay with them. It's like so he's he's either just the coolest character there is, or he's in complete denial. Yeah. There's something very Victorian about, oh, a ghost. Oh, well, let me engage in verbal repartee with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so we, we we close out this section with a little more a little more interplay between Rizzo <laughs> and Dickens as they are going, uh, you know, climbing their way over, around, and eventually through um, the gate into Dickens' yard. And um, they're going to be making their way inside to see what are not Dickens' yard, Scrooge's yard um making their way inside uh, uh who doesn't love a good prat fall <laughs> or should i say rat fall rat fall <laughs> they do they really sell the physicality of rizzo hitting the snow with that poof, that big <laughs> pop of snow that, that that poofs up from the bottom of the frame yeah amazing what they can do with puppets these days mm-hmm. or uh or 30 years ago as, as it may have been almost 30 years ago kind of Wow. Where does the time go? And I think this is aged very well. It seems very modern. And again, it being talk about the advantages of, of practical effects and using puppets over CGI. Anything they would have animated or done with the computers in 1992 or three mm-hmm. would have would obviously look dated today. Yeah, we got a little bit of that with the door knocker at the beginning mm-hmm. of this segment, but it, that's subtle enough that it doesn't uh, look bad, doesn't look cheesy. I think the other thing that helps this age well, not just technologically, but culturally, is the Muppets have, at, at least in their classical formation, the Muppets have never gone in for the pop culture-based humor. Mm-hmm. They don't make joke based on you know, what are the popular movies or songs mm-hmm. that are out that particular year. The comedy is based on the very strong characters that the Muppets represent. And the humor is based off of what happens when you drop Miss Piggy into a Christmas Carol? What does that look like? <laughs> and uh, you know, what happens when you just let Gonzo and Rizzo be the, the, uh, the Greek chorus of a Christmas Carol. Right. And that means the story stays evergreen. And so long as you uh, catch who the Muppets are as characters, there's still some humor and still some engagement from that that uh, means that it ages so much better than, I don't know, most of the things that DreamWorks puts out. I was just going to say DreamWorks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. I mean, Same. what is this? Sean, uh, you said 1992? Yeah. Or so. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like, it's like there's no House of Pain song in there that's going to, like, <laughs> date it. Oh, that was a bad time to take a drink of water. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to. Oh, oh boy! Oh, Doctor Teeth playing House of Pain would really be something sure. to see. I mean, right, right. But that's something. Listen, it happens yeah. in movies. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So, um, and so on that note, I think we're we're at the end of um, part three of our uh, of our journey here. Any any final thoughts, Father David, on on this section, on the movie as a whole, on on Muppets, on Dickens. Closing uh, thoughts. I mean, closing thoughts. I really enjoyed the the Muppet Christmas Carol as a kid. It's been years since I've seen the whole thing. I really appreciate 
having the opportunity to revisit it for the show. I'm going to be adding it to my Christmas movie list this year to give it a, give it a watch for those who haven't read a Christmas Carol. I highly recommend you go and read the original Dickens story. It is classic Dickens. He always has this great sense of the human person. And he is very, how do I put it? He's, he's very, um, he, he writes fables. Mm-hmm. He, he, when he writes a story, ev- everything has a lot of significance and the characters are more than just characters. They're mouthpieces for certain points of view and certain truths. And Scrooge's story is a classic because there is that fable quality to it, that it's a tale we keep telling that even though it's married to a particular time, you know, Victorian England and moneylenders and a bunch of economics that aren't really fully explained ever when the story is told, but it doesn't matter. There's the conversion of a man's soul at the heart of the story that comes through self-reflection and a realization of where his actions have led him and where their actions will continue to lead him should he continue on that path. And he's offered the chance of redemption. He's offered the chance of repentance, which is the very heart of Christmas. Jesus comes to offer that chance to be converted. Uh, The first words that Jesus as an adult says is repent and believe in the gospel. And that word repent comes from the Greek word metanoia, which means to change one's mind. And we see a change of mind in Scrooge. He thinks differently mm-hmm. by the yeah. end of the story than he does at the beginning. Because, and, and not because he's a different person. It's not like someone uh, erased his memory. Rather, his memory is restored. He is more Ebenezer Scrooge at the end of A Christmas Carol than he was at the beginning. So I always enjoy any version of A Christmas Carol, and I'm really going to enjoy the, the Muppet version of the story this Christmas season. Good. I'm, I'm glad. And I'll, I'll reiterate you know, for the listeners. Yeah. If you haven't read it. And I also say, I think I, I know I kind of stumble. I'm not quite sure what to call it. I usually just say the original, I think it's properly called a novella. Um, it's not That's a quick novel. read. Yeah. It's a, it is a quick read. If, if, if you hear Dickens and you think of, um, you know, high school when you were forced to read or, or forced great to pretend, ex- yeah. oh, great you expectations. Read, oh, great no. expectations or a tale oh. of two cities. Like this yeah. is, this is not that I'm with, I'm, I will say I was definitely not a Dickens fan when when forced to read him for high school English. Um, but yeah, this is this is short. This is quick. If you've seen this film, of of course, you know, or you've seen some ad- adaptation, you know the story. But particularly if you've seen this film, you're going to see a lot. You know, you, you're you're going to see familiar language, uh, familiar lines. You're going to feel right at home, and you're going to get through it, uh, you know, quickly, and you're going to feel good about it. So yeah, I would encourage. And it is. It's uh, what, 160 something, 170 years old. So it's in the public domain. You can go to the Gutenberg Project or there's places online you can download it and, you know, for free and, and not feel bad or guilty. You're not stealing. It's, you know, Dickens, uh, I don't think is worried about <laughs> is worried about royalty at, at this point. <laughs> you know, if, if, <laughs> so you can go on, you know, there's, there's certainly there, there are publishers that are printing copies if you like to, to read on paper like I do. But if you just want to read it on your, your Kindle or your e-reader, you can find, um, you know, again, kind of uh, public domain versions of it out there. So, yeah, I, I encourage people to, to check it out. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we, we gave you an excuse to revisit this wonderful film. And I went, so, yeah, so I, I think that wraps it up for today. Uh, well, actually, no, sorry, I, I'm, I'm going too fast. Brian, any closing thoughts on this section? Anything, um, anything else you feel you haven't said that you want to say about, um, you know, Marley or Marley or, uh, you know, a kiss on the nose? 
<laughs> well, the Marley, we, we love the Marleys. They, mm-hmm. they looks fantastic. The movie's growing on me. Stay tuned. Okay. Stay tuned bit by bit. We'll work on you one ghost at a time. That's, exactly. um, that's how these things go. <laughs> so thank you very much. Um, for for joining us, Father Mari, this has been a, a joy and a pleasure as usual. Thank you so um, much for having me. Yeah, anything you wanna, anything, any plugs, any other podcast stuff, any um, anything you want our listeners to know about. Uh, releasing in January of 2021 will be the Best Minutes podcast, the Movies by Minutes annual group project, where different Movies by Minutes hosts uh, look at uh, take turns looking at the same film week by week, and this year we're going to be looking at the best years of our lives, a 1946 classic film. Uh, I'm going to be hosting a couple weeks of that uh, group project. So if you want to tune in for uh, more of my blathering about the trials and travails of veterans coming home from World War II, tune in to the Best Minutes podcast. Yeah, great. Yeah, the the, the best years of our lives, uh, a great film, and I'm sure that's going to be uh, a great podcast. The best podcast, in fact. Oh, well, we'll <laughs> wait and see. We'll wait and see. But yeah, folks, folks, check that out. And, uh, you know, check that out. Check us out. We're the, the usual places, you know, all the things. We're at the, the next scene pod.com. If you want to catch up on the, the Scrooged uh, special that we did a few years ago or any of our other holiday specials, um, you can follow us uh, next scene pod on the social media. Jelly of the Month Club is our Facebook group where you can chat with other listeners. And after all, there's only three more sleeps till part four. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us. God bless us, everyone. The love we found. The love we found. We carry with us, so we're never quite alone.